0: From Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Zoom Room, a youth-produced podcast where each episode we Zoom into a different theme or topic through interviews and conversations relevant to us, the youth of Alaska. I'm your host, Rowan Pickard. Earlier this summer, alumni from Anchorage Christian Schools came together to speak out and share stories about racism they experienced while attending school there. Only their experiences weren't just with other students, but the teachers and administration as well. Emboldened by an open letter from former Miss Alaska Ariane Audette, over 120 black, indigenous, people of color have shared decades of discrimination and abuse they were victim to, while attending Anchorage Christian Schools and its parent organization, Anchorage Baptist Temple. In this episode, we're going to hear from two of the alumni speaking out. Atme senior producer Daisy Carter spoke with brothers Gerardo and Carlos Arias, both of whom attended high school there in the early 2000s. Gerardo just received his Juris Doctorate and is pursuing a career in criminal defense. Carlos is finishing a master's in public policy while pursuing a career in local governance. But what they went through at ACS still lingers with them. Daisy spoke with them remotely on July 24th, 2020.
1: You two are among the alumni of ACS that have spoken out about students of color experiencing racism in the school. Could you talk a little bit about what you experienced there?
2: I guess personally, over the course of the six years, I think one of the things that I experienced just a lot of was um, just kind of blatant um, discrimination, a lot of racial slurs towards me personally. Things like beaner, border hopper, Mexican, dirty Mexican, sneaky Mexican not super creative, but just a lot of those kinds of things. And so those were the things that we experienced, I think that I experienced just kind of personally. And then among other things was seeing other groups obviously get the same kind of treatment. So uh, kind of Asian American students would get their own kind of list of slurs thrown their way. Black students had a different experience, which I think was probably maybe the worst out of all the students that were there. And that was, it was just commonplace, right? It was just something that you experienced kind of on a daily, maybe weekly basis, you know, Um, it was just, it was just the, just the culture. It was just so, it was just so prevalent, right. You just got kind of numb to it after a while because you just heard it so often. Most of the times it was used as a kind of joke, right. That was the, that was the way that they kind of excused it. It was always kind of said with a smile or, or with kind of a laugh after it. And then kind of from an education perspective, you get, um, just distorted views of of history, whether they taught us about manifest destiny as like the god 's will for the white Christian to expand from east to west in the us um, or kind of glossing over the impact of slavery um, or not even really spending time on on civil rights or anything like that it was it was either dismissed or, or just distorted so you 've got a very kind of clear Picture of what, or at least uh, not a clear picture. You just got a. They were trying to shape what your worldview was going to be based on, kind of a distorted view of American history and very kind of fundamentalist Christian, white supremacist kind of perspective on the world. But yeah, there's a there's a lot there's a lot that went on, and I think particularly with kids that were involved in athletics, because that's where you developed a lot of like these really kind of close bonds and you spent a lot of time with other student athletes and so generally that's when you would hear and experience the most of these kinds of things. But yeah, it was pretty common over the course of six years.
3: My experience was uh, similar. I was there for five years, uh, eighth grade through uh, 12th grade. And um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just uh, kind of sort of for the first time in your life, being exposed to being called racial slurs regularly. Um, you know, a lot of the same things being called, you know, a, a beaner, a wetback, all the kind of, you know, typical sort of things that you hear uh, levied against uh, Latin Americans or people of Latin American descent. Um, so that was something that I experienced. It was something that was, you know, common. My issue isn't so much with the fact that it was said by other students, because I think at that age, it's just sort of something that you need to be educated on. And if you're not, then, you know, you're, you're liable to make kind of, you know, say stupid things as most of us have done when we're young. Uh, my biggest issue was just sort of that the institution was um, really sort of um, political when it came to how it dealt with religion. And they really used the school and the church as an opportunity to further these you know, views and political agendas that were really detrimental to people uh, in the school that were of color. Um, a lot of the staff, a lot of the people that worked there were like Southern Baptists and um, yeah, I mean, it was just a it it was a pretty heavy culture of racism, and a lot of it was levied by, by teachers, and not just one, not just
2: two. But it was something that was really kind of widespread. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, the really good point that he mentioned that the the issue I think that a lot of us are raising as alumni isn't isn't geared towards students. We're not calling out students, right? Because um, you're at a kind of an impressionable time in your life. I think the part that's that's maybe the most Shocking is just how much you heard it from staff and from teachers, whether they engaged in it actively, or they were there when it happened, they didn't say anything, or they they laughed when someone else said it. And so you you had these authority figures that enabled the kind of behavior or actively participated in it. That's kind of the concern. And that's what's led to it being something that, at least in kind of what we've gone through, you know, we're hearing stories from the 80s all the way to the 2010s the stories are all, are all the same, right? The same things were said to the same kinds of students who had the same kind of attributes, right? Whether it was their skin color, or whether it was their heritage. Um, nothing's really changed over the course of you know, 40 years. And a lot of it, if not most of it, it's been perpetuated or enabled by staff.
1: When did you guys kind of realize, if you even remember, like when you guys were being treatedly, treated differently because of your race?
2: Oh man, probably one of the first times I showed up there, I, I remember pretty clearly in seventh grade, getting called a wet back in gym class. To be honest, that's really the only time that I remember it being so vivid and I'm sure it's because it was the first time that it happened. It was as early as seventh grade, you realize that that was some of the reasoning why, right? Because there's nothing too subtle about a slur, you know? It kind of makes it pretty obvious what they're, what they're targeting. It, it's something that, that was sort of apparent from
3: the beginning. I think sometimes when you're young, you're not really sure why you're being bullied. I mean, I was like an awkward, like, you know, seventh grader that was like a little bit chubby. And so I wasn't sure the exact reason, you know, but when you hear certain words over and over, you realize that sometimes it's kind of pointed in a racial direction. So, I mean, I, it was something that was apparent right away. So right right when I got there.
1: Uh, did you notice a difference in the way that different minorities were being treated? Like were the black kids treated like more or like you guys or like Native, Amer- or Native Alaskans or
3: it's a little bit embarrassing to say that you don't really notice other people's situations. You just notice your own. So when I hear all these stories about like, you know, black classmates and ting- seeing all these awful stories, it's it's a little bit, you know, it's it's just little disappointing to realize I never really saw it or noticed it because I just noticed what happened to me. And uh, so I was aware of it. You know, obviously you would hear certain jokes about black people, but. Um, the degree and the like, kind of the severity of the things that they tell, are things that uh, you don't notice necessarily if you're not experiencing them.
2: Yeah, I'd say so I'd say uh, similarly. Uh, I had friends that were there that that experienced some of the things that the black students went through, and so you you see it, right? But I think what's what's kind of come through in this recent thread was um, just the just the severity of some of the things that the students went through, I think was maybe far beyond the scope that I was aware of or had seen. Um, I thought, you know, for the most part, it was contained in maybe things that I had kind of experienced, kind of like jokes and the, you know, the racial slurs as, as jokes. And so you saw those things and you saw how it changed depending on kind of the, the ethnicity of the student, but some of the really severe stories that have come out this. Yeah. I think just to echo my brother's, you're kind of embarrassed to not have known those things were going on. You were just kind of wrapped up in your own world at the time when you're, you know, 15 or 16.
1: Did you guys ever report any of this kind of behavior to like the, the school or even your family?
3: I, I definitely had a conversation with my parents about it, you know, cause I was, I was getting bullied pretty severely in like eighth grade. So my parents went to administration and said that, you know, I was, you know, being called racial slurs and kind of beat up and, uh, their response was that it wasn't racism, that there was no racism in our school. And, you know, I stopped getting beat up, but, you know, I didn't get stopped. I didn't get stopped being
2: called, you know, racial things. So I think I was lucky in the sense that I came two years after my brother. And so you kind of see how to navigate things because someone in front of you kind of went through it first. So unfortunately for him, he had to kind of, bear the full brunt of it. Um, By the time they saw me, I was just like baby Gerardo. So they didn't, at that point, there wasn't much more that they could really make up for me. It was pretty, pretty standard. But I remember it was, it was probably closer to my junior and senior years that I started developing a little bit of a, of a voice of my own, I think, and starting to feel like I could chirp back. So I remember talking to teachers. I remember arguing with staff. I remember arguing with the chief administrator about the things that they were saying and becoming a little bit of like a problem child for them. But it, it took a long time, you know, it took four years, you know, when I was 16, 17, getting ready to graduate is when I was really kind of talking to staff kind of in a public way saying like, hey, why are, why are we saying these kinds of things? Why is this going on? And then even afterwards with some of the staff that I maintained relationships with, um, particularly coaching staff, um, I remember having conversations even up to a couple of years ago where I would say, like, you know, all the stuff that you guys were doing in high school, it's got to, it has to stop, right? You can't keep doing these kinds of things. It was terrible. And so it wasn't – I think when I had when heard that my parents went in and nothing happened with my brother when I was really young, my mode was just, like, keep my head down, you know? Like, nothing's going to change. My parents already tried once. And then by the time I was getting ready to leave, I was like, you know, fuck that. Might as well. Might as well say something if you're on your way out, you know.
1: So this next question, um, I, I really like it because at least in my high school experience, every single year we fill out a questionnaire and the questionnaire is always like, do you feel safe in your school? And like, do you like have any like issues with your school? So one of the questions that always kind of trips a lot of students up is, do you have at least one adult to go to um, about prejudice you are facing or that you are facing? So, do you, did you guys have at least one adult in your school that you could go to if you were facing any prejudice?
3: Uh, no, no, no. Like that—that I, I, that, absolutely not. I mean, I, I think it, I think it's unfair to characterize our entire experience at the school as negative because it wasn't necessarily. Uh, we were really into athletics. We enjoyed it. Um, there were a lot of things that we learned that have been beneficial to us in our lives as adults. Um, But really, my personal main issue with it was just sort of the administration's, um, both the church and the school, just having such a strong political stance on issues um, that were detrimental to people of color and just a lack of respect for people that were different. Um, So that really is. Just kind of the focal point of my issue and, 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 and going from there, there was no one you could turn to if you felt that you're being discriminated against. There's nobody you could go to to say that you're, you're being treated unfairly uh, about something to do with race because it was so prevalent. It was the culture. So it, it's, you know, it, no, there's just no one you could say something to.
2: Yeah, I'd echo that. There's there's really nothing. At least in, in that respect, there's no one you could turn to to talk about it because even some of the people you were you would turn to would be the ones kind of most actively involved in it right so there's really not not much you could do which is i think why having like friends around you at least my friend group was shockingly diverse for the for the school that we went to and so i think we all kind of helped each other out not explicitly right we weren't like i think so openly acknowledging that that was the value of the group that we had but i think it was just kind of this implicit benefit from us kind of all being friends was we kind of knew the BS we were going through um, at least in that respect and at least we had you had the friends to kind of hang out with and decompress with a little bit.
1: You mentioned that prejudices were worse in athletics and you both were in sports. How was that different than those who weren't in athletics?
3: Um, I can really only speak from my experiences based on what I've read and what I've heard. uh, It sounds obviously like it was a big issue across the board for everyone. Um, As far as my experience in athletics, I mean, I always felt it was kind of, you know, at that age, you look at them and just like, Oh, they're just joking with me. These people are my friends. And, you know, at the time I, I, you know, it bothered me and I would, I would call it out for what it was, but uh, it wasn't, I mean, not that it really makes it much better, but I didn't feel like it was done hatefully. It was just a lot of ignorance at that point. But there were interactions I did have with like chief administrators or with other teachers who I did feel were malicious, who I did feel actually did have a bone to pick with people who were uh, of color. I didn't feel the way in athletics. I thought it was ignorance. I thought it was just a lot of of immaturity. But I think the overall structure of the school kind of allowed for that because I did feel like there were people that did have Um, really poor views of people of color and really sort of twisted political views and religious ideas that really kind of devalue this.
2: I would agree. I think I can only speak for my experience with athletics. I know in in kind of the thread, there have been others that that are just kind of really dark and they deal with sports uh, and with some coaches that I didn't really have any interactions with that involve like, you know, like, grabbing black students and slapping black students and stuff like that so that's that's something that i never experienced the reason why it was so much more prevalent was because you you develop like these closer ties with these people and you spent so much time with them and so just the nature of like boys in athletics mm-hmm. tends to be one of just like shit housing each other right so there's you're you're saying mean things to each other you're just it's it's this one of just like banter right so there's there's that kind of dynamic and it's all in like fun right quote unquote and so that Tended to be the way that they would try to make fun of us, right? That was the that was the default because it was just the easiest thing that stood out the way to kind of rile us up. But I think, like my brother mentioned, I don't I don't know how much hate there was behind that. There were people, particularly the chief administrator while we were going there, that for sure had very racist ideas and would come really close to saying them, kind of in class, like very dog whistle racist kind of ideologies. Those were the ones that really. The most concerning because they were the ones that were essentially determining the ideology of the institution i think everyone else just kind of they were followers right they fed into what the culture allowed them to get away with and if people laughed and you know a lot of white white kids thought it was funny then it boosted their kind of insecure egos and they'd keep going with it so i think what made what makes sport kind of a, a i want to say a breeding ground for that I would say sport sport creates like this it creates like a space where you can feel free to be inappropriate with your friends and say dumb things because it's just the boys together being the boys kind of a thing. Um, the problem is when it starts getting into kind of racist or other wrong behaviors right even if it's a quote unquote joke you're still kind of reinforcing ideas and ultimately you're hurting students in the long term
1: you mentioned that um, the chief administrator would kind of like do things that were kind of like underlyingly racist. Because you could you possibly give an example of a time when you saw that actually happen?
2: There's a bunch. This guy's a dork. A lot of this really kind of spurred up, and I, I remember pretty clearly because it was around the time Barack Obama was running for his first term in office. So this must have been um, 2006, years 2006, 2007. And I remember him coming into my calculus class, popping his head in, and saying. You know, I've heard recently that it's possible that Barack Obama could be a, a sleeper cell for Al-Qaeda because his middle name is Hussein. So it's just something to think about. Or the same professor, or sorry professor, the same teacher in one class. This was, during, this was on Martin Luther King Day, which we didn't celebrate, so we were all there. He goes on this long drawn out talk about how not all people deserve to be treated equally. And he started talking, he started using like these really kind of weird analogies. Like what if we all took a test and we got different scores? Should everybody get the same grade? But it was just, it was just the timing of it, right? Like on a day, like Martin Luther King Day, I'm, I'm going to kind of reinforce this idea of meritocracy regardless, you know, it's, it's just like, you got the sense that he was trying to mold minds to think a particular way without coming out there and just being over and saying it. When I talked to my brother about it, like we we refer to it as like alt-right before the alt-right became a thing, right? That really sophisticated kind of racism where they realized they couldn't just come out and say it. They had to, they had to find other ways to kind of inculcate you and, and get people to, to line up around that ideology. Mm-hmm. You'd also just do like blatantly racist things. Like one of my um, friends, would put his hand on his head and call him Mr. Black. He was just a black kid, you know, you would do that often and you're just like, all right, his, his was more subtle. And that's the, that's the more sinister part. And that's the part that uh, um, my brother was touching on earlier, kind of the, the ideology behind it. Like, it's, it's, it's more than just teachers who said, who called us a beaner, right? There was an ideology that they were pushing.
1: How did hearing other people's stories make you feel? Did any of these stories about other people's experience there, like, shocked you? Like, were you shocked at all? Or were you guys just kind of like, yeah, this is how it was?
3: I was shocked by the severity of a lot of it. You know, like I said, in my experience, it was bothersome because it was so often and because it came from friends and because it's sort of like, you know, as an adult, you look back and you see it, it kind of set these habits that like certain types of jokes are appropriate, you know, and they really aren't across the board. You know, sometimes you think, oh, I'm a person of color. It's okay if I make this joke to to my friend who's a person of color, because we're both persons of color. And, but, you know, as you get older and you're an adult, you realize there's, just some, there's certain types of humor that really, you should be more sophisticated then. But you sort of learn those things at such a young age that like, oh, this is an appropriate way to joke. Um, so, I mean, a lot a lot of it was that. And, but hearing hearing other people's stories where there was, you know, included violence, including like, not jokes, but like overt slurs that are like historically, you know, pretty damaging. I was definitely surprised to hear just how harsh it was for some students.
2: Yeah, I, I'd agree. One, I, you, it's kind of sad to read all those things, right? Um, I think there are bits of embarrassment, too, of not knowing that a lot of these things were going on. Just the severity of some of these things, just the, I felt a little embarrassed that I didn't know that these things were happening. Those, those two are probably the, the, the biggest emotions that I felt, just like pretty sad and also just a little embarrassed that I, I didn't know about some of the events.
1: Since the school was indeed a Christian school, did you ever question your faith because of the abuse that you would face um, in school?
3: I don't go to church anymore because to me, I equate Christianity in the United States with people that support extreme right-wing ideas. So for for me, it's difficult to go to a place where I feel I am commingling with the very people who growing up told me that I might as well not belong in this country because my parents weren't from here. So I would say that for a lot of us, it's been a major issue as far as um, where our faith or our religious beliefs kind of went. And and that might have changed anyways, you know, as you get older or with education or what have you. But uh, for me, it's a very pointed choice I make that I'm not willing to um, necessarily take part in a culture that kind of gave me that experience
2: yeah same i think since i've left alaska i haven't really gone to church um and for a lot of the same reasons that he mentioned you just relate the two right um and i think that was the that was the my brother had alluded it alluded to it earlier it wasn't just the the racial things that were said to us but it was just kind of the broader political leaning of the church and the school so then we I at least start kind of tying Christianity to like a very specific like my brother mentioned right wing movement right based on the things that we had experienced. So it's hard for me to go into churches now and I don't particularly enjoy it. I go with my parents every now and then but I think it definitely had an impact on at least my experience with with Christianity.
1: As far as you can tell what does the church seem to be doing in response to all these stories? Do you think that they'll take these things seriously or do you think they'll just kind of just dismiss it and move on?
2: Oh, I hope they take it seriously, but I'm, I'm not seeing any actions that would lead me to believe that they're taking it seriously. Um, I mean, a lot of this is around uh, lack of um, minority faculty, lack of minority representation in the pastoral staff. Um, and one of the things that we saw most recently was um, the appointment of a new chief operations officer who's a 25 year old white kid who's the pastor's son, right? And so that's an opportunity to kind of address the needs of that school based on some of the complaints that you're getting. And you kind of pivot and go, I mean, clear the opposite way. We've seen some pretty passive statements come out from the church, which also haven't been particularly reassuring. So from my perspective, I'm not seeing much in terms of addressing these, these issues.
3: I really haven't seen a whole lot aside from, you know, sort of the pretty generic statements that were made to the ADN or or made on to, to other outlets. Um, I think I think it's I think that particular organization is sort of in a challenging position because you know sort of their 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 base and their followers and sort of their ties to the Republican Party sort of put them between a position of having to decide to own up to an error and make changes that in today's political culture that's pretty divided uh, is really viewed as you know pandering to you know crazy left ideas you know as if as if not calling you know children. You know, beaners is is really so radical, uh, or or just openly apologizing and saying, hey, you know, these things happened um, and we're sorry, and we need to make sure they don't happen again. But you know, it's it's not even been that; it's been statements like, well, we realize your experience wasn't perfect. Well, you know. <laughs> so I mean, I'm, I'm not terribly. I think I think it's, I think doing what's right is challenging sometimes, and uh, I'm you know, it's not many people organizations will do it.
1: Have you experienced discrimination in other schools that you've gone to, like outside of ACS?
2: To to degrees, right? To to be honest, I don't think I'll experience anything quite like that. (laughs) Um, But I I think you experience it everywhere, right? In some places, it's just um, a little bit more passive-aggressive. In other places, it's, but not anything like what happened at ACS. I think one of the things that we've heard from a lot of students is like one of the most racist experience and environments they've ever been in has been that school, which is saying a lot. Right. So it's happened. It happens in the workplace. It happens um, in academic settings, but definitely not anything like, um, like what kids have experienced there. I mean, I think we all probably have experienced,
3: you know, things elsewhere in other schools. I mean, I was probably too young to realize if it was the case. I know having, I've definitely, you know, growing up in Alaska, you know, seeing the way my parents have been treated, you know, being immigrants and, you know, speaking English as a second language. So I've, I've observed firsthand what it is to be, you know, to come to this country without any, you know, language or skills or, or, or you know, knowledge of, of, of the language I've spoken or. So, yeah, I've definitely observed it, you know, but have I ever been in a place where it was really that open? Uh, no.
1: Um, how have you both grown from your experiences from the school?
3: i learned I learned a lot from the school um you know there was definitely a lot of positives that came, and you know good friendships I made, and you know a lot of things I learned in athletics while I was there grown from it i mean i think as as you get older, you just you know learn to be more aware of when these things are happening uh sometimes when you're a kid, you don't really you're not you don't really understand the full scope of what's occurring, so as an adult, you kind of see injustice, you kind of see discrimination. Uh, and you're able to, you know, stand up for other people when situations call. So it just gives you more, more, I think, empathy and ability to understand other people's
2: uh, situations. Yeah, I would agree. And I think um, I think another another key aspect is kind of not trying to perpetuate similar kinds of thinking or similar similar kinds of treatments to other groups that are also kind of marginalized. And so when you're able to recognize and see the the damage that things that were said to you caused then you can in turn be better for other groups that also face similar kinds of treatment. Right. And so I think definitely trying to unlearn some of your biases or acknowledge the ways in which um, you have blind spots so that you can be, you can be just a better person, right. For the people that are around you, I think is a, is a big part. ACS was an interesting environment where some of my closest friends that I've, that I have now came from that, from that school and like my brother mentioned, like no one, you're going to get positives out of an environment, particularly in athletics, right? You learn things like discipline, you learn things like hard work. But I think there are, a lot, there are a lot better and safer environments to learn those kind of positive attributes that don't require a lot of the things that are happening in that institution. Those things are going to be there even when you do change kind of the, the toxic culture that exists there.
1: What do you hope that um, sharing your stories can accomplish?
2: Well, I think from like from like a big picture perspective, um, that POC kids, like little black and brown kids that go there, don't necessarily have to face the same kind of treatment that a lot of other students have faced for for decades. You know, it's just, I think it's as simple as um, kind of putting a stop to it. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things that are required in order for that to happen. It's probably going to take time. Just getting a little bit more. Just making kids feel safer, making making sure you no know, kid leaves there feeling less than or not as smart or not as capable um, simply because of the color of their skin or their heritage, and because people told them that when they were when they were going to a, to a Christian school, no less. There's a lot of other stuff. There's kind of more tangible things like changing the educational curriculum, or you know, mandating diversity training for staff, or getting more. A more diverse staff and pastoral staff and teaching staff; those are kind of some more tangible markers that um, we're hoping to push through and, and get uh, ACS to commit to. But at least for me, from like a like a big picture perspective, it's just how do you get how do you get these kind of behaviors to stop so you don't get another generation of kids who are essentially experiencing this kind of racism.
3: I don't really have any huge expectations of anything. I just think it's important that we do our part to make sure that you know this kind of behavior is less normal and that you know younger kids can grow up and not have to deal with sort of having to you know figure out who they are or what's their place in the world just based on something like the color of their skin or whether where they belong or whether they're you know qualified for jobs or for schools or life can be challenging enough without having to to deal with this added burden of society telling you that because of the color of your skin, you are different or that that somehow implies your worth.
1: Do you see the protests in the wake of George Floyd's death directly related to the timing of this? Do you think that it has helped alumni have the confidence to speak out about their experiences of the church?
2: Totally. And I'll I'll let my brother answer this one just because um, he had said something. I remember him saying to me, isn't it crazy what one event can do around the world? Because it was definitely, I think, around that moment that triggered, I think, the confidence for, for us to acknowledge, like, hey, this is this is the this is the chance that we have, right? This is the moment, and I think everyone's kind of feeling that kind of anger and the kind of sadness, you know. I think it's I think it's what initially spurred Anna Simmer's the, the alumni who kind of like is leading the charge here. I think that's kind of what spurred her to to jump into it was was the cultural moment.
3: Yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely, um, it definitely is just a reflection of, of that. Um, and it, it is pretty incredible how one event can sort of spur people on to act or wake people up to a degree that really, you know, hasn't been seen in a really long time. That was sort of a flashpoint for a lot of people.
2: I think a lot of us kind of figured, if not now, then when, right? Like, it, it creates a moment where If if you're not going to say something now, and if you're not going to try to do something now, then when are you going to really going to you know feasibly do it? When are you going to try? And so I think it's it was just one of those things that just took one person to talk to another person, who spoke to another person, who spoke to another person, and next thing you know, the ball got rolling, and you know here we are.
1: Do you know what alumni are doing to keep the movement alive? Yeah, there,
3: there's 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 other students that are uh, you know a bit more involved than us, and uh, you know to their credit, they've been doing a lot of different work, a lot of different things as far as meeting with local leaders and things of that nature, uh, or, or reaching out to people in order to sort of um, you know express their desire for change. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of credit to them.
2: Yeah, there's 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 a lot of work being done. There's a uh, an Instagram. Circulating that's documenting a lot of the experiences that different kids have gone through a while at Christian schools around Alaska, right? And so in the Instagram page at a dot Christian dot school, so a Christian school with two dots in there, there's a link there for students to hop on, type in their their experience. It could be as 100% anonymous, right? There's a there's a little link where you just uh, drop in. You could You can be as specific with the institution to the year you graduated as you want. It could be as general as you want. And then generally the names are omitted just to ensure anonymity and security, essentially for everyone that's involved. But there's just been tons of people sharing their experiences and it's been, it's kind of sad to see, but it's also encouraging to see so many people willing to share. And so it's just like a platform for kids to, I keep saying kids, it's a platform for students to share their experiences going to private Christian schools in, in Anchorage or in Alaska in general
1: yeah thank you guys so much for um for talking about this I know it like must it must not be easy to obviously talk about this again my mom when she heard that I was going to be talking to you guys and asking these questions she was really excited because she knows like she's been here for a long time and she also has heard like a lot of terrible things like coming out of that um coming out of that school so she's like
2: Good job, like, excellent. No,
0: nice. That was At Me senior producer Daisy Carter speaking with Gerardo and Carlos Arias about the racial discrimination they and other Black Indigenous people of color experienced while attending Anchorage Christian Schools. Stay tuned for future episodes of our podcast where we talk with more alumni from ACS and other private schools. You've been listening to Zoom Room, a production of Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Kendrick Whiteman. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including the Anchorage Museum at Rasmussen Center, United Way of Anchorage, the Alaska Humanities Forum, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of the National Endowment for the Humanities or other sponsors. Thank you to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Anchorage and help keep our podcast going, you can donate to our organization by going to alaskatinemedia.org and clicking Donate. Also on our website, you can learn more about what our organization does, listen to past episodes of our podcast, or find out how you can get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For Alaskatine Media Institute, I'm Rowan Pickard. Thanks for listening.